when the last petal falls. Raza, Mom is going to kill you. Scarlet slams the front door. I jump up, snatch my leather jacket from the back of my chair, slipping it on. My packed rucksack is on the window seat. I grab it, then slide the window open. I don't need to be told twice. Scarlet appears, panting at the study door. Her face flushes a pretty pink blonde curls cascade down her back. I'll miss my little stepsister, but I won't miss looking at her every day. One end of my scarf falls. I tighten it around my neck, making sure only my eyes are visible. She rushes forward, her small frame smacking into my chest, wrapping me in a hug. Where are you going to go? I squeeze her tight, then push her away. You know the plan. My heart races. I picture Callist stumbling out of the Iron Tavern into the empty street. She's been dormant for four years. I'd grown comfortable, naive, hoping I wouldn't have to leave. The rose is my only chance, Scarlet. She squeezes my wrist, her grip stronger than when I was twelve years old. I should come with you. No, my voice is sharp. You need to stay. I hitch up my skirt and climb onto the window ledge. Water laps against the boats, a level below. She tries to climb behind me. I shove her back inside. I need you to stay, to help me. She whimpers. Tears fall. I'll miss you, Reza. Next time you see me, I won't be wearing this. I pointed at the purple scarf and forced a grin so she can see it in my eyes. Bangs and clatters issue from the street, then a shriek. Bye, Scarlet. I kiss her forehead. It's going to be okay. I slide the window shut, grab the water drain. It creaks. I pray with each step down that the steel holds. My feet find the boat. It teeters as I sink onto the seat. One pull of the knot, and I'm released from the dock. I paddle down the canal. Lamps from the houses light up the path. I turn into the first alley, a back lane with fewer lamps. After dusk, the canals are less busy, but I don't want to take a chance. I wobble and splash myself. I haven't been on the water in eight years, since father last took me for a ride. I remember the finesse of the paddle and its turns, but my shaking hands send me carving side to side. I hit a few boats and a couple walls as I navigate through the lanes, moving towards the open bay. My hope lies in Scarlet, the story we'd practiced dozens of times, sending Callus to search the mountains instead of the sea. After all, only those with a death wish entered the fog. The canal opens up. I paddle into the wide bay, passing others traveling close to shore, a few fishermen and merchants ready to bring their goods home. The darkness remains my friend, hides my passage straight across the water. Ahead, the fog waits. With the moonless night, I'm unable to see where it begins. I pause, paddle hovering over the water. The fog, stealer of ships, killer of men, those who go in never come out. Father told me of the voices luring men to their deaths. Strange lights causing men to jump in and drown themselves. Everyone told the same story, though no one had ever met a survivor. But if a story becomes legend, Father always says, it is worth remembering. 
And what I remember most are the forsaken islands where the sapphire rose blooms. A flower so magical that when the last petal falls, you are giving a wish for whatever you desire. I have only one wish, and it's worth dying for. My hands shake as I place the paddle in the boat and dig through my sack, finding two bowls of cotton. I stuff them into my ears. Then I wrap white gauze over my eyes, tying it behind my scarf. I can see, but it's blurry. If I have to, I'll close my eyes. The temperature drops, as if it will snow. I tighten my jacket. Paddle in hand, I venture into the darkness. Sounds muted. I think I hear something, but I only see black. I'm blind and deaf. The stupidity sinks in. I have no idea where I'm going. No idea what's through the fog. I could miss the islands completely. Or worse. My hand on my ear. I feel the cotton. I freeze. It was like a voice whispered to pull them out. I resume paddling, pressing thoughts away about removing my guards. I keep my eyes squinted. Bright lights scan through the water, then disappear. They recur every few seconds, perhaps from a building. I peer over the edge, hoping to see land, but there's something else. Everything in my body tenses. I see myself. Without the scarf. Hands at my face, I rip off the gauze and grasp the scarf around my neck. It tightens, suffocating. I scream and drop the paddle with a splash. My fingers dig into the scarf. The cotton balls fall out. A voice swoops in, breathing into my ears. Ugly. Callous voice. I twist my head. Darkness. My hands tighten around my neck. Hideous. Her voice grows louder. No, I cry, breathing labored. Repulsive. I shake my head, close my eyes. Still, I see the reflection on the water. Beast. I jump to my feet, unbreathing, unthinking. I try to step over the edge, but I trip. Instead of water, my head hits wood. Finally, the image of my mirrored reflection turns to black. Is she okay? I don't know. I think she's okay. Where did she come from, I wonder? My temples ache. My neck burns, and the voices in my head won't stop talking. I blink. It takes me a moment to realize the blue above is the sky. I rock in the boat, water slapping. Behind my head, a grinding sound. Frowning, I rise. Land. I'd hit land. Gravelly pebbles on a narrow beach, carved beneath a grassy hill. And towering overhead, a massive stone building. Gray bricks spotted with green vines and thick moss. A groan standing. I avoid peering at the water's surface. Leaving my rucksack, I scramble onto the beach. Boat pulled onto the grass, I clamber up the hill. I shove aside the memory of the reflection and focus on the fact that I'd reached land, an island by the looks of it. If the fog and the island are true, maybe so is the sapphire rose. There'd once been a dock about 20 yards from where I beached, but the wood now hangs with black rock. The grass merges with a gravel path that leads from the dock to the building. Though only two floors, its solid rectangle form is imposing and unwelcoming. The structure has been placed right in the middle of the small island, a warden upon the hill. A sign swings in a gentle breeze, creaking, etched into the wood, Sparkwood Asylum. I frown, my chest tightening. 
I climbed the stairs. Father said there hadn't always been the fog. He remembered a time when you could peer out across to the open sea, waves breaking on the edge of the horizon. The fog had come overnight. Those who had been unlucky to get caught in it never returned home. That was when the stories began. But he'd never mentioned an asylum. The front door is two solid oak panels. The steel ring handle heavy as I lift and push, expecting rust to impede my entrance. But the door swings open and I stumble into the hall. Hello? Though I've seen no sign of life, I can't help but feel I'm being watched. Is anybody here? My voice echoes. The ceiling stretches as high as the entire building, though the hall is only half as wide. A door to the right next to the staircase is open. I step through into the long, massive room, lined with beds along both the interior and window-lined walls. Beds with metal frames, painted white. Each blanket perfectly made, with a single pillow at the head. Halfway down the room, I notice the straps tied to the frame, hanging limp on the floor. My neck feels cold. I search for an open window, but all are shut, locked tight. The hardwood creaks as I tread into the entryway. I quickly check the three rooms on the other side, an office with towers of files, a private bedroom, and a communal bath. The smell of mildew lingers after I shut the last door and peer up the stairs before I ascend. Hand on the rail, I climb. My hand finds my scarf, the place on the neck where I'd grab my own throat. The skin still throbs. The landing transforms into a long hall, doors on each side. There's identical closet-sized rooms with a bed and boarded-up windows, but the room across the hall is different. A chair punctuates the middle of the space, straps on the armrests. A table right beside, lined with silver instruments, knives, scalpels, a pair of shears. I shut the door, heart-pounding. I should leave this place, but I need to be sure. The last door is a darker wood, its handle pewter. In the center, a square has been cut out and boarded up. I place a hand on the knob. My heart hammers. The door, the handle, I've seen them before. Stared at them for four years. Same wood, same knob, same food slot. This door is identical to the one guarding my old room. I sprint down the hall and down the stairs, out the front door. Pushing the boat back in the water, I jump in. Whatever horrors happened here, I want no part of it. I ignore the memory of the door, looking for my missing paddle. Don't go, a voice calls. I turn, blinking at a bright light caught in the rays of the sun. I trip and fall forward, catching myself before I hit the seat. A laugh from overhead. I look up into the wispy white face of a boy hovering above me. I shout. He laughs, spinning backward and holding his belly. Elian, stop it. You're scaring her. The same voice. A girl floats behind him, older, maybe twelve, though just as translucent and pale. You're... Uh, you're... I rub my head. You're not real. The boy laughs again, but stops spinning. The girl pulls him down so his feet appear to be on the ground. I'm Veda. This is Elian. Um, I'm Reza. I blink, grab the boat. I have to go. No, you mustn't. It's too dangerous. It's a miracle you made it through the fog once. 
I paused, placed a hand on my neck. With a sigh, I pulled a boat back onto the beach. Veda claps her hands. Come with us, come inside. I'll make a bed for you. She floats ahead. I follow, curiosity spurring me onward. Uh, just the two of you live here? I linger over the word live as their transparency leaves me with only two explanations. I'm dreaming or they're ghosts. Yes, that's right. She leads me back into the hall. We stop before the private bedroom. Elian paints, and I clean. She smiles wide. For the first time, I notice her eyes, the color of cream-doused coffee. One of her eyes looks off to the left, the other straight. The door swings open. Dust swirls and vanishes. The bed straightens. The curtains fly open. Veda's faint brown curls bounce. I hope it's to your liking. Come, I'll show you the rest of the island. Staying is ludicrous. Yet, when I consider the fog, I'd prefer to wait before heading into it again. Hurry up! Veda's head appears through the wall. I jump. Oh, sorry. Her tour of the island doesn't last long. Around the back of the building are three trees, walnut, apple, and pear. Vegetables grow in boxes, strewn with weeds. Elian hovers on the grass outside, near the edge of the beach. He has paper and what looks like red paint. He swirls it on the page, though never touching. The boy's blonde hair falls over his eyes. He pushes it away. I notice several shadows on his skin, like a puddle of mud splashed on his face, making some parts lighter, some darker. Veda smiles. He's a good painter. I nod, though all I see are shapes that look like blood splatter. I excuse myself to the restroom. Veda wants to follow, but I convince her otherwise. Back inside, I pause by the office door. Frowning, I step inside and knock a pile of files to the floor. The pages scatter. Documents and images jumble. I gather them, but a picture catches my eye. A photo of Elian in black and white, standing before the front of the building. Inside the file are more pictures. Elian lying strapped to a bed. Another of him sitting on the floor of the small room upstairs. The last one shows him in the chair next to the table of instruments. Blood covers his face. Arms of another person wearing white sleeves appear beside him. My hands shake. I glance through the other files, see photos similar to Elian's. All children, no older than twelve. And I see one file with the word Veda. The photo inside depicts a frowning girl with brown hair, an eye looking left, the other straight. Stamped on top is dangerous, with words handwritten below. Murdered subject 4351. Burnt spark. I drop the papers. Veda hovers before me. I step back, shaking. Stay away. She pauses, glances at the file. For a moment, I'm reminded of Scarlet. They'd be the same age. So innocent and young, except Scarlet had never murdered anyone. Is that why you're here? Because you killed someone? Vibrations pulse from Veda like a heartbeat, the intensity burning. Her eyes flash red, then she flies through the wall, disappearing. I stare at the files. Thousands of papers stacked up, tower after tower. You hurt Veda's feelings, Elian appeared at the door. Ghosts have feelings? I bite my lip, but my body shakes. I can't think clearly. You're just like the others. He disappears. What others? I rush into the entryway. Sounds of crying come from the bed hall. Elian reappears. The doctors? 
They poked us with needles, Theta too. Then she figured it out. What are you talking about? He swishes a hand. The room shifts, filling with people. I grab my scarf, tighten it, but no one seems to know that I'm there. Adults in white jackets walk through the front door, heading into the bed hall or up the stairs. They cut us open, he points at his head, at the jagged scar behind his ear. Why? Elian twirls his hand, painting the great hall. The beds fill with children, most with their wrists strapped to the frames. Some cry, some shriek. That's Jeremiah. Elian points at a boy struggling with his straps. Bloody wrists, mouth foaming white, his back curves hunching forward. They got it from him, and it turned him mad. Veda knew. She released him. The scene swirls. Veda lay in a bed, twisting her wrists, popping it, pulling her arm out of the strap. She sneaks out of her bed, needle in hand. She moves towards Jeremiah. He shakes violently. He looks at her, seems to nod. She inserts the needle. His shaking stops and the scene disintegrates. With each blink, there is something new. A nurse grabbing Veda, throwing her in the room upstairs, placing her on the chair, and Veda screaming. We return to the empty hall. Fading light shines in from the open door. Veda floats through the wall. Tears sparkle on her cheeks. I don't understand, my voice softens. What were they doing to you? Trying to steal a spark. Veda nears. What is that? You know, you came searching for it. I frown. Searching through the blur of memories, I gasp. The sapphire rose? She nods. The spark of a marked child transforms into a sapphire rose. I blast out a laugh. Are you sure Jeremiah chose her? Elian whispers. That's insane, I screech. A spark from inside a child turning into magic. There is no such thing. Veda tilts her head. Are you certain? Yes, I... My gaze turns to the stairs. I feel the lure of the door at the end of the hall and follow it. The door I'd been too afraid to open now once again bars me entry. All I need to do is swing it open and find the rose. Hand shaking, I place it on the handle, close my eyes. Still, I see the door. I memorized its cracks long ago, staring at it, pounding it, scratching it, never allowed out, never seeing the sky or the stars or the sun or the water. Only the mirrors, the mirrors all around, no scarf to hide behind, no clothes at all, just myself and the mirrors. One night, Callist came home drunk. She threw my door open, kicked my naked body until every part felt broken and bruised. My nose burst with blood, matting my hair. I'm done with you, she screamed. Damn you to hell! And slammed the door. The mirror fell, shattered. I crawled to the door, leaned against it, raised a shard of glass to my neck. Fingers trembling, I willed myself to do it. I twisted the shard. Reza? A small voice on the other side of the door. Scarlet. She'd been little then, only eight. Are you okay? 
I froze, my hand shaking, tears falling down my cheeks. The food slot slid open. A crack of light shone in. Take my hand. Blood dripped from the blade. I couldn't. I dropped the shard, raised my arm, and took her hand in mine. It's going to be okay, Reza. That had been the last day in that room. Without warning, Callist had let me out. But she never wanted to look at me. So I always wore my purple scarf. And I never went outside. That had been my 13th birthday. I blink, my finger on the door handle. Different place, but it feels the same. How had I come back to here? Back to the room I'd left four years ago. Scarlet's voice plays on in my mind. I breathe it in. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I twist the knob, waiting for the mirrors. But there are none. I blink, gaze falling on the glowing blue light in the center of the room. The scent of peppermint wafts towards me. On the table, hovering only inches above, is a rose. Blue as a sapphire lit by an inner light, the color vibrant and deep, the entire universe in a single bud. The magnitude of the heavens reflected in its petals. A buzz radiates from the flower. I inch out a hand. As I near the rose trembles, one petal falls, then another. The light flickers. As the petal touches the table, it dissolves. I speed down the hall, descend the stairs two at a time. It's true, I grin. The petals have begun to fall. Both Elian and Veda sigh. What do we do now? I ask. Veda shrugs. We wait. But the rose does nothing again for hours. We sit on the grassy knoll above the beach, Veda and I. She stays near me, like Scarlet used to. Elian sometimes comes over to play with the pebbles, but often returns to painting. Why are you still here? I lean forward. This isn't a great place, and all of those awful memories. It's this. She points at the fog floating over the water. It's got a gray tinge. We've tried leaving, but it always pushes us back. And you can't move on to... She shakes her head. You must have been here a long time. I don't know. My memories, uh, what Elian showed you, feels like it's happening now. I see the sun come and go, but it all feels as if it's in the same moment. Silence flows between us. The water splashes on the pebbles, ripples from some far-off place. Perhaps boats returning to the wharf across the bay. Why do you wear that? She gestures at my scarf. My hand finds the end safely tucked in and holding fast. My chest tightens. I'd forgotten for a moment about my face. In the excitement of the rose and the incessant waiting, I'd actually forgotten about what hides beneath. I'm sorry. Veda's whisper startles me. My words upset you. I meet her gaze. I've grown used to her lazy eye. I hardly notice it. But something glows within her gaze. I feel warmth enveloping like a cloud around my arms. I stand. I'm going to check the rose. The land shakes. I stumble forward, spinning. What was that? The fog swirls, 
darkening. Lightning glitters like a web and thunder cracks. Vera hovers, stiff, straight, floating backwards. Not again, she whispers. A boat appears, and a tall, thin figure stands at the helm, paddle splashing. I freeze. Out of the fog, riding up onto the beach, Callus chucks down the paddle. Her eyes find mine. They are the only visible part of her face. The rest is wrapped up in a white scarf, covered in red splatters. You bitch, she shrieks at me, jumping out and grabbing a sack from the front of the boat. The sack groans. Scarlet. I'm sorry, Reza, she whimpers when she sees me. Her arm bleeds from a gash. I'm paralyzed. Callus yanks Scarlet to her feet and drags her out. I should have killed you all those years ago. She spits the words out, grabs my arm. I follow, no will to resist, completely numb. You're hurting me, Scarlet sobs. Shut up. Callus yanks us both through the front door. I've done it before. I can do it again. Callus rambles as she hauls us up the stairs. This time, this time, they won't blast us out. Yes, and if the first one goes, there's always the second, always the second. She throws me onto the chair and shoves Scarlet into a corner. A smack of cold air hits me across the face. I see a blur of white flash through the wall. I twist, lurching, but Callist has my hands, her grip strong. She slaps me across the face, ties my wrists into the straps, pulling the table of metal instruments towards her. Her eyes crinkle at the edges. It's good to be back. You did this? Blood fills my mouth. She grabs my scarf. You tortured those children? You're the one who created the fog. She laughs, gesturing around. Don't you love my masterpiece? Wishes for the taking. Everybody wants one. I thought you'd discover that on your own. She finds the end of the scarf. It unravels. Little beast. She grabs a handful of the thick, dark hair that covers my cheeks, chin, and neck. Too ugly to live. With shears, she cuts the strands, and I scream. Pain shoots through my skin, rattling my bones, burning fierce fire. No, mummy, no, Scarlet rises, hand on Callus. Callus raises a fist, smacks Scarlet across the face. The child crumbles. Move again, and I'll kill her. She cuts another clump of hair. Electric fire sears through me, down to my feet. Everything tightens. Tears slip out. I yank at the bonds. That's it, Callus soothes. Let it all out. With every cut, I scream. The pain is too much. I want it to stop. Give up your spark and it will be all over. Her voice slows. Let it go. All the pain will disappear. I shake my head. My voice throbs with the electric current. The shears near. I cringe, sobbing. That's it, she leans in. Break open and you will be free. Callous scarf tickles my face. I blink. Her scarf. She cuts another piece of hair. Though I cry out, my gaze stays on her neck. I imagine pulling off the scarf, exposing her secret, whatever it is she's hiding. She cuts me again, the burning intensifying. My thoughts jumble. I gasp for breath. Give her a taste of the pain and humiliation she's caused. I meet her eyes, brown like mine, 
Whatever it is she's hiding, she'd rather hurt me than expose it. For a moment, her face shifts, and I see myself without the scarf. And I cry. Not for myself, but for her. She cuts again. There is no pain, only tears. My body relaxes. Tears pour out. What are you doing? Her eyes widen. She cuts again and again, but the pain is gone as my tears stream down. Something touches my wrist. The strap loosens. Callus grabs a scalpel, slices off a chunk of my cheek. Stop. My hand shoots up, grabbing her wrist. Enough, she starts. Blood seeps down my face, but I don't care. She furrows her brow, reaches with the other hand, but Scarlet holds her back. Let go of me, Callus pulls. My grip tightens. A ring of white glows around my other wrist. There's a flash of light, and the second strap releases. Veda materializes between me and Scarlet. Hello, doctor. Veda's voice deepens. What? How? Callist pulls back. The sky darkens. Fog seeps into the room. Callist's eyes dart side to side. Release me. Like you released Jeremiah? Veda floats closer. My hand grows hot. Red marks appear on Callist's wrists. She gasps. Veda, stop it, I yell. Veda's eyes blaze with red light. Callus screams and I drop her hand, hot to the touch. Veda flies at Callus. Fiery coils exploding from her fingers, burning Callus' scarf to ashes. Her hands find Callus' neck and red rings appear. Callus shrieks. I glimpse her mouth, the wide hole between her nose and lips. But her face had always looked so flawless. Veda, stop. Look at her. She's marked. Wind rises, knocks me back. I crash into the wall. Scarlet smacks her head against the door. A swirl of fog surrounds the ghost and the doctor, red light intensifying within. I scramble to my feet and out the door, down the hall. One last petal on the sapphire rose. I reach out a hand, then pause. Take it for myself. It would change my life. But Callus' face fills my mind, the gaping hole in her lip. How many children had she hurt so that she didn't have to face herself in the mirror? She must have felt so much pain to lead her to that point. A pain I know so well. I close my eyes and hold out my hand. This rose is meant for one thing alone. The last petal falls into my palm, cool as rain. Set them free, I whispered. Nothing happens. My heart thuds loudly. Then calloused screams. The building shakes. I rush back to the room, ceiling tiles breaking loose and falling behind me. Veda and Callus no longer there. I rush to Scarlet. I shake her, but she's unconscious. Through the floor floats Elian. He holds out his hands. A red haze glows beneath Scarlet's body and lifts her up. He floats with her downstairs. Another scream from outside. I blast through the front doors as Elian lays Scarlet on the grass. The fog swirls above in a dark cloud. Shingles rip off the roof, flying into the dark mass. Veda and Callist fight on the beach, Callist grabbing for the boat. She screams, burns scarring her arms and face. Veda, let her go! I sprint down the hill. She turns, eyes blazing. Behind me, the house splits apart, vanishing into the cloud. Elian hovers on the grass, his body fading. He looks at his hands. They sparkle. A smile grows on his face. And he disappears. You've done enough. I step forward. Let go. Be free. Veda shakes. 
one hand around Calloused neck. Calloused gasps. She doesn't have to hurt you anymore, I whisper. Let go. Veda trembles. Time suspends. A tear inches down her cheek. She releases her hold, her figure fading. She meets my eyes and waves her fingers. My purple scarf appears in my hand. Veda smiles, and she's gone. It's all gone. The house, the fog, the ghosts. Gone. Calloused curls into a ball, sobbing. I watch the lights across the bay. The blue sea is expansive and open. I touch my face. Already my skin has healed. I expect the hair to grow back. Always when I tried to remove it, it would return immediately, thicker than before. But it doesn't now. My cheek stays soft and smooth. I stand up tall, let the breeze blow my hair wild and free, and release the scarf to the wind. Thank you.